0: Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 20. If you could, please stand for the reading of the word of God. I always hear my husband say that. We do have it on the screen, but if you have your Bible, you can read along with me. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate. To one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospita- hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity and the blessing to be able to minister today, I ask that you would anoint my words, that it will be straight from you and not from my own self. God, I pray over every person in here that you will help them to see how good you really are and how much you love them and how much of a forgiving God you truly are. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. So real quick, I'm going to tell you exactly how I do prepare for a message and how this time it was completely different. And that is when Brad has asked me to uh, either teach on Wednesday night or preach, which I haven't done that very often on Sunday mornings, I overly obsess over it. And when I mean overly obsessed over it, I mean I write every little bitty note. I write everything I want to say. And then I take it and I rewrite it because I want to get it in my head. And then I read it out loud and I obsess and I obsess and I obsess. And it drives my husband crazy. It really does. He, he says, come on now, that's a little much. <laughs> but that's how I am. But the funny thing is, is I didn't do that with this one. I still prayed over it. I still prepared myself. I still wrote notes, which let me tell you, I just wrote little things that I want to say, not every little detail, fear of leaving it out. But this one is so personal to me. I actually did write a section out where it was like 10 pages long because I write big, okay? I write big so it would have looked like I was preaching forever, but I wasn't. And the Holy Spirit last night said, no, don't take those notes. So last night at 11 o'clock at night, I rewrote it to where it's just got little points. And it's because that's how God was working on me in this message. He didn't want me to overthink it, but to just allow the Holy Spirit to flow for this message. Because there have been nonstop, non-stop little things thrown my way to hinder me from being up here today. And I know that God gave me this peace because this message is for Someone. Today. I want to start by telling you trauma, heartbreak, betrayal, grief, deception, hurt, all these things. Every single one of us has experienced it in one way or another. If we were to pass a microphone around, every single person would have their own story. Do they all match each other? No. Some of them have what we would look at each other and be like, that's all they went through. But for them, that was the worst thing that they've been through, and it's still an experience. We can never discredit, even if it's smaller than yours, because I promise you, our stories might not be as tragic as some if we went to another country and heard. And so we all have a story to share. We all have dealt with some form of heartbreak, hurt, betrayal, all of these we all have that story. I have many of them, but the one I'm going to share today, most of you know because I've been very open about it because I'm at peace with it, and that is the story about my mom's passing. But in all honesty, my mom's passing was one of the best things I ever heard, but I ever experienced because I got to see her at the end give her life to Christ. So to me, I am grateful for it, but it's everything that went on around it that was the traumatic part for my family. My mom grew up in a house where they were pretty angry. You have my grandfather, who was full-blood Indian, and my grandmother, who was Irish, and they both liked to drink. And when they drank, which was often, um, they fought. They fought. Even if they couldn't get their hands on alcohol, they would drink other things. Uh, They would drink Dr. Tishner's, things like that. Like it was nothing. And so for my mom's house, that's what she grew up in. That's all she knew was you fought and you drank and you fought some more. And then you'd take a nap and you'd drink and you'd fight some more. That's all she knew. And in fact, even her grandparents were not that nice either. Her grandmother um, did not like little girls. Little girls do not carry on a name. So my mom was not well known. Well, in all of this, without going into detail, there was a lot of tragic abuse, a lot of trauma, a lot of things that my mom, her sister, and her brother all endured. Flash forward to they're adults now. And all three of them figured out a way to deal with it on their own. My mom got counseling. My mom even had to take medication. And we actually did not even know about it until her passing, that she was on that because she never wanted us to to live the life that she lived. She didn't block it out. We knew stories of our family. We knew how crazy our family was. But as far as us being a part of that toxicness, we never were. Then you have my mom's sister, who she was able to pretend it never happened. It was perfect. Life was beautiful. She had a great family, things like that. But we all know if you don't get the right help, it comes back. And so they also had a brother. I've never met my uncle. My uncle was killed before I was ever even born. And it was because he took the trauma and amplified it into his own family. And his wife walked in and saw what he was doing and shot him. She shot him with a shotgun in front of all the children and everything. And it was seen as self-defense. She never had to go to prison or or serve any time for that. That was self-defense. And so I never met my uncle, but I heard how rough he could be. And so flash forward to when my mom was sick. We didn't have to deal a lot with my mom on tragedy, but what we did have to deal with was my aunt. My aunt had let so many things fester because she never ever tried to get the help she needed. It consumed her. And by consuming her, she became isolated, and she let a lot of bitterness happen. And as as that consumed her, she had tragedies that happened in her own life. She, when I was in the sixth grade, my, we had our own phone in our bedroom separate from my parents and in the middle of the night my phone started ringing and my parents hearing their teenage daughter's phone ringing wanted to know who's calling. So they barge in the door and they answer the phone. It was the police department trying to get a hold of my mom because her sister's son had just died in a horrific car accident. It was her only son, and they could not get a hold of my aunt. So she had to deal with, while she was in New York City with her husband on a business trip, getting a phone call from her sister telling her to come home because her only son had passed away. Flash forward to many years later, her husband was diagnosed um, with cancer. And before that, he was on kidney dialysis and he was next in line to get a kidney. And when they found the cancer, they had to take him off of the list. So my aunt took care of him diligently until he passed away. And then it was just her. Just her. My mom always loved her, always cared for her. But my aunt still just had this bitterness inside of her. And so I want to use her as my illustration because... There is a lot of hurt that she went through, and some of us will go through it ourselves, but it's how we overcome it. I never want to see anyone who is a Christian, especially, to go through this tragedy because my aunt was a Christian. She would, she would tell you. She was bold about it. She was proud about it. In her eyes, she was a woman of God who knew how to spew as much hate as she possibly could, which is a tragedy, That is not what God ever intended us to be. So I want to start with number one, what unforgiveness really looks like. When I thought about that, to me, I picture we have God's fruits inside of us. We have the fruits of the Spirit growing inside of us. But what unforgiveness will do is it will become a weed. Anybody who gardens knows what weeds will do if you don't pull them, if you don't get rid of them. They will overtake you. They will consume you till the fruit is no longer there. My aunt was once a loving woman. She loved us dearly. She cared for us. But as she let these things consume her, she became bitter and angry. And we watched it happen and could not do anything about it. So the first one on how unforgiveness looks like, one of the ways is our past. Maybe, maybe you're a child of God. You have repented of your sins and you're no longer that person, yet you can't get past. You can't forgive your own self for it. We all go through it. At one point or another, we remind ourselves of the things that we used to do and say, man, how could God ever forgive me for that? Well, he has forgiven you if you fully, truly repented and turned away from it. But sometimes we can't forgive ourselves. And sometimes part of that past comes with people reminding us of our past. Sometimes we have people who want to tell us who we once were as a way to cut us down when we're trying to help them. I met with a a loved one years ago who, in high school, I was a partier. I was wild, I drank, I I did drugs, I did all of that. And I was a completely different person. If you saw a picture of me, you'd be like, yeah, I was a 90s kid to the core. But I had a, a family member that I partied with and I introduced those things too. And as I cleaned my act up, got married, became a child of God, became a full-blood Christian, was ready to do whatever God wanted me to do, I was able to completely clean up. And even though they were still doing their stuff, I stayed in contact with them and tried to love on them and tried to be there for them and tried to help them. Well, through time, we ended up having distance. And a few years ago, I met with them for lunch because they had went to a rehab, they had gotten saved, and now they were helping at this rehab. So I'm like, oh, I want to hear your story. When I met with them, all they told me was how it was my fault. I was the reason, and I believed it. I believed it hook, line, and sinker. And I apologized, and I let that eat at me. And I let it eat at me, and I talked to my husband about it. And he, he said, you can't believe that though. I mean, you, were, you, you did that a short period in your life and you tried to help them. You, it's not your fault for the last 10 years of their life. Come to find out, <laughs> she had pretended to do good. She, she really didn't get clean. She didn't get sober and she pretended to get saved as a way to get out of jail. And that, that broke my heart to hear, but what she was doing was she was trying to show me, this isn't my fault, this isn't me, this is all on you. I took that, and I took it fully and said, this is my fault, this is because of who I once was. And it hindered me for the longest time because of that, because I believed it. And the enemy will do that to all of us. The enemy will make us believe we are still that person. And the enemy will send little things to remind us of who we once were. But that is no longer who you are. And I want to tell you today, you are a new creation if you do not know Christ. You don't have to wait for an altar call. You can do it right now. To miss the mark is to sin. And to repent is means to turn away fully. So when we repent and we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, He has forgiven us, but it is us that has to do the work. We have to come out of that a new creation and accept that as we are no longer that person. So when we, when we look at unforgiveness, part of it is our past. We cannot forgive ourselves. I've seen a lot of soldiers tell us in the past, I can't know God because you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I had to do as a soldier. There was one guy who came to our church, loved on us, but never, ever proclaimed to be a Christian. And he he was on his deathbed, and he was talking to us. And my husband spoke to him and told him, you can still be forgiven. You can still repent. And that man cried crocodile tears, I mean the biggest tears, and just gave his life to Christ and a week later passed away in that hospital bed. Don't let your past hinder you. The next one on how forgiveness, unforgiveness looks is ourself. I know it goes along with our past, but who we are today. Say You slip up, you mess up, and you think to yourself, there's no way I could ever come back from that. As long as you have breath in your body, there's going to be an attack on your life. That's why I have to, this shameless plug here, and I'm sorry, I have a hard time standing in that. Shameless plug, growth groups. I know, I know, we always talk about growth groups. Well, that's because they are so good. We need them. We have custom done growth groups to fit what people are going through and they are supposed to be there to build a circle of unity so that we can come together you're not alone what the enemy wants to do is he wants to isolate you the scripture shows us that that uh, the wolf comes in sheep's clothing how does a wolf or any animal any predator go after their prey they see the ones that are isolated So if the enemy can isolate you, they will. And I love how John Bevere put this. Shameless shameless little thing right here, but it's the truth. He said, if you notice, the scripture says a wolf comes in sheeps, not shepherds. Sometimes we're so busy looking here, we're not looking around to see who is really trying to pull us away from the group. So keep your eyes peeled. Growth groups are vital because they help us Grow in unity, in one accord. Get connected. There are so many people who say, I don't feel connected. What are you doing? What are you doing to connect yourself? What are you doing to include yourself? Get connected. Don't let that isolation pull you away because that's what the enemy wants to do. Now, the third one I want to talk about is other people. Let's start off by saying church hurt. We all go through a church hurt. You know why? Because we're all human. I'm gonna hurt somebody. I don't mean to, but it happens. A lot of times when we hurt each other, it's not intentional. As a pastor, I have been hurt many times. And in fact, I've been told I do close myself off. I do stay quiet. But when you've been through church hurt, you tend to do that. Let me tell you, I am more open than I've ever been but I still understand that there is a real enemy out there who wants to hurt you. And they'll use another person to do that in a heartbeat. It doesn't have to be a family. It doesn't have to be a friend. It could be your church member. It could be the next person sitting on the pew by you. But that's not why you come to church. You know, part of the thing with church is praise and worship, offering, offering, All of that, that is for God. The message is for us. We come to grow and be in one accord and be in unity. And as long as we have unforgiveness in our heart, we're pulling ourselves away from each other. And there are so many ways that we get hurt. I look at my aunt and the life she lived. She was a hateful, mean woman. It's sad. And I I hate to say this in truth, Some people probably sighed when they found out she passed away. Because of the life she chose to live, she never allowed anyone to get in her life and love on her because she would rather keep people at an arm length because of her pride. She never wanted you to know she wasn't perfect. But I can tell you, there's nobody perfect. only person that's perfect is Jesus. So, Playing a role and putting on a mask is the worst thing you could ever do. Uh, There's a funny picture from a movie of The Rock where he looks in a mirror and all he sees is the person he used to be where he was, like, overweight, you know, really bad. Um, That's called body dysmorphia. And that's, that's a situation where, like, for example, me, I've lost a lot of weight. And sometimes I was joking with my kids the other day, I sometimes forget. (laughs) <laughs> I look down, I'm like, oh, yeah, I lost weight. It's just a part of, you know, you're so used to that. And, and so I don't have body dysmorphia, of course. But that example is how, as a Christian, we walk around and we like to say, yeah, I'm forgiven. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you, are there people that you see and you go, think about it. Are there people you just don't want to be around? Or when you see their posts show up, you're like Yeah, you know, any little thing, that's that's a part of it. There's something there that's causing that issue. We are to work in unity and in one accord. And I love how my husband, even if you don't like him, if he sees you at Walmart, he will chase you down and hug you. He will, because he's he's like, mm-mm, devil ain't having me today. And so he <laughs> Yeah, so don't take offense and think, well, he must think I don't like him. He hugs people he likes too, that he thinks like him too. It's not that. It's not that. He hugs everybody. So those are a few things of unforgiveness. We could deal with what our past has taught us. We could learn to grow from it, or we could deal with what other people are doing, and we can see the issue for what it really is. Sometimes we need to just address an issue and get it worked out. We can't have it where we have disunity. And then not only that, what we're dealing with in our life, we need to find people where we can have as accountability partners to open up to and say, I'm dealing with this issue. Not the person who's gonna suddenly get on the train of texting everyone and telling, but somebody who's there to be with you. When I dealt with my mom's passing, I wasn't upset about my mom. I was upset over everything that happened, which I will go more in. I will actually tell you in a minute. But one of the biggest blessings I had was Tina outside in this parking lot let me get the whole story off my chest, every crazy part of it. And she didn't sit there and say, yeah, yeah, you, that's justified. No, she just listened, and then she prayed with me. I needed that. I didn't need somebody to amen me at that time because there was a lot of anger in me. I was dealing with that situation because this was an aunt I always tried to love and I always felt was there for me. But now I was seeing a different side to her, someone I never expected. So those are areas of unforgiveness. But now I want to go on to number two, what forgiveness looks like. If you have your Bible, go to Psalm 133. Verse 1. I was on the right page and didn't even know it. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. So when we learn to forgive, we find unity. We find blessings, and we find anointing. These are all personal areas. That's what we personally find. The blessings that I had was when I dealt with, with my aunt. Let me go a little deeper into it now so you, you can understand the blessings that came from it. My aunt wanted to take care of my mom because it was a pride issue, and she, she, would, she tried to tell us to sign over my mom to her. If we would have done that, we wouldn't have even known when the funeral was. We wouldn't have been allowed to see her, and we knew that. That's just how my aunt was. This wasn't our first rodeo. She did that with all family members. Well, suddenly my cousins, which was my mom's brother's kids, not her own kids. Hers had already passed. Suddenly wanted to come in and help us. But every time we turned around, these cousins were doing things that just caused so many problems. I mean, we were exhausted; they made double work for us we were we were we were all ready to just hurt each other. I think one day I threatened to pour a cup of coffee on my cousin just because I was tired and I was ready for her to just go home and saying all that, the reason why I tell you that that was hurtful was. These were cousins I grew up with that were like siblings to me. I loved them. They were there every weekend. And the funny thing is, is they would come and they would say, please don't tell Aunt Glenda we're here, which was my mom's sister. Okay, okay. Well, we let my Aunt Glenda still come over and visit with my mom, even though my mom half the time didn't know who she was, all that good jazz. And and we just kept fighting with each other, and we could not understand. Why are we fighting so much? What is going on? because we were all working in one accord. Our family was tight. When it came to me, my brother, my sister, and my dad, we were all a tight unit, yet we were starting to see the ripples happen. Well, when my mom passed, (laughs) I was on my way home uh, from one of the trips just to get some rest. And my sister calls me and says, dad just kicked out our cousin <laughs> I said what and, and they said yeah dad told her she's got to go home well she had to wait for her husband to show up who was three hours away so she did her whole like blowing up cussing out our family storming out and then having to sit in the living room and wait <laughs> well I was like two and a half hours away and at this moment in my life I said I'm turning around I got a few words I want to say to her but I ended up not doing it. I knew that was worse because I would have walked in and been like, and another thing, you know, on every little thing because it was one of these situations where you almost felt like you were in the twilight zone because every time you turned around, this, my cousins were doing everything they could to make our job harder. My, my mom would not be able to see, you know, because of the tumors, and she would wake up and she'd want you to talk to her. Well, you've been up for... 15, 16 hours, and you hear my cousin coming in, and she would wake up my mom while you're sleeping. So you would wake up. She did, and, and I'm like, I know she's got some brains. I know she's got a little common sense. But all these things were happening. And then the, the one time my cousin went to town for some supplies with my dad, and my sis, with my sister, because I said, I'm going to end up hurting her. Um... My mom, in that 30-minute window, that's when my mom started talking to me about when she dies. And at that moment, I was able to actually talk to my mom and win her to the Lord and see her truly become a child of God. It was in that 30-minute window. So we kicked; they kicked my cousins out, and my mom passes, and... We're at the funeral. My cousins show up. and You got to understand, my family's a little different. And this was our Louisiana family. There's nothing wrong with Louisiana people at all. But I got one, my cousins haven't ever grown up. And they're older than me. And my dad sees one of our cousins, and he waves at her at the funeral home, and she rolls her neck. (laughs) I was like, Yeah, you have fun with that. I'm not going over there and talking to her. You have fun. And yes, we found out at that funeral, my aunt had paid them to come in and do that because they were mad at us. So my aunt was telling them what to do constantly, right? That hurt Well, my mom was being buried. (laughs) It's funny now. Erin and I probably remember this, in fact. My cousins and my aunts stood there like a wall staring at us while we're watching our mom get buried. It was rough. I came home, I was angry. I was angry, not even partially angry. I was full-blown angry. It took me... Having to, I talked to Tina, which was a huge blessing. That helps me more than she may may ever even know. But that was a huge blessing that I needed. And the whole thing was, was I felt like nobody wanted to hear my story. And that wasn't even the truth. What it was, was God was trying to tell me, quit talking about it. I was talking about it when I had the wrong heart. I would do the whole, yeah, forgive her, Mm mm-hmm. Lord God, can you bless my family? I bless my cousins. I ask that you would just smite them. You know? <laughs> you know? And that's what I did. But it took me years of getting in God's word and allowing the right people to speak into my life and allowing God to show me, you cannot hold this grudge. You cannot. You have to forgive. And so in Psalm 133, What forgiveness looks like when I say blessings, one of those things is my family. Even though I had to pretty much cut off that whole family, when it comes to my dad, my sister, and my brother and me, we have never been as close as we are now. It has been the hugest blessing. And while you probably think of blessings as finance and things like that, but no, I'm seeing where our family has come together as a tight ship and we love each other. And we're able to walk through this pain and forgive together as a family in love. And that is my blessing. And when you forgive, you'll start to see that things will will start blessing you because you're truly forgiving because you, di- you have a different viewpoint of it. You have a different outlook. I start to look at my family and I have sorrow and I start to see from their perspective, not in the way of being gaslit, but in the way of understanding there's tragedy there. All of my family through that time had been through tragedy. And I look back at my mom and I'm thankful because my mom kept us out of that. My mom said she never wanted that life for us ever. And we never had to deal with that life. So that's a blessing. The next one is the anointing. When we talked about how um, unforgiveness will be like weeds, we cannot work in the power of the anointing if we're so full of bitterness and anger. We cannot. There's no way we can operate in that when we're holding on to these bitter roots that are causing us to be angry and and can't understand why we're grow why we're not growing. There's no way. I mean, there were I had to take years of just being quiet and still and not doing any of this for me to get to the place where God showed me, now it's your time. Now you can walk in the gifts and in the anointing and in the calling. I didn't just take that for granted. It was hard and, and most of y'all have experienced that. You saw me in those seasons. You saw me when there was anger in my life. You saw me when I just sat there and was quiet because I was working through what had happened. But you also got to see where God used me in a way of giving forgiveness. I had to give that forgiveness. I couldn't just say, oh well, you you don't know what they've done to me. No, I do know what people have done. But here's the thing. When we forgive, and when we actually truly forgive, guess what we could do? We then move into a place where we could help others. There are people who do not know God. They are going through the same trauma as you. And we need to be able to show them how we've overcome it in order for them to know that there's something greater. Amen? Amen. It's hard for us to have somebody walking through darkness with the same trauma, and you're walking in the light and and still as bitter as them. It cannot happen. Because guess what? You pretty much told them, God thing doesn't really work. It's the same either way. So why even try? And the third thing is unity. We work together. You know, in Acts chapter 4, we saw where they were starting to provide for one another. They were starting to help And that's when in chapter 5 we saw Ananias and Sapphira throw the wrench in that or attempt to. But that's how we're supposed to work. And yes, even though there were blessings happening in chapter 4, there's always going to be an attack in chapter, as we saw in chapter 5. There's always going to be an attack. But when we stay in unity and in one accord, it's hard to throw a wrench and expect it to break because our bond is much stronger. So we cannot wear a mask and appear fine, but deep down be broken. We cannot be like that image I told you about the rock, where on the outside you look perfect and you look spotless and you look clean, but on the inside it's just rotten. We cannot have that in our life. If we want to be able to grow in an atmosphere of revival, we have to then, number three, become a forgiving church. We have to become an atmosphere. That's the first thing I wrote down. We have to see a shift and a change in our atmosphere to where we can grow in one accord and see God moving in signs and wonders and miracles. You know, when my husband goes to Africa and he sees these signs and wonders happen, it's because every single one of them are together and they already understand what unity looks like. Some of the times when they go to a village, there's a leader, and the leader will say, the whole village is getting saved, and we we have to stop and say, "No, no, 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 it has to be their choice. But that's how they work. That's how they already operate. If one does it, they all do it. And we have to work in unity and see that we become a forgiving church and see the shift in the atmosphere. And then once we see a shift in the atmosphere, we're going to see growth happen. We cannot operate in a forgiving manner without seeing the broken come through. We have to be able to accept the broken, the ones that are hurt, the ones that have dealt with so many things. We have to be able to accept them and be willing to take them under our wing and share with them our story and say how much God has changed us because that's what we do. I mean, walking in unforgiveness is easy. It is super easy. And if you can find friends that want to walk that with you, it becomes even better. The hard part is learning to forgive. That's where the challenge is. But with God, all things are possible. Nothing is too hard for God. So while it's hard to forgive, it's not impossible. And let me throw this out there. Forgiveness doesn't mean you have to welcome them back in your life. A lot of times we get... Tripped up on that because we think that we have to become a doormat or we have to get slapped constantly and put up with a lot. That's not what God created us to be. We are to love, but we are not to be taken advantage of or used in a bad way. And once we see that growth happen and we see people coming in, the third thing is we'll see discipleship. That means what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to take people under our wing. We're supposed to take the hard ones, the broken ones, the tragic, even the ones that did not even have that big of a story to tell, and we're supposed to mentor them and, and see God moving, and then we cast them out. That doesn't mean they all just stay in this church. Our church needs to be a revolving door in a good way. It means they need to come in, get discipled, get mentored, And God called them out to wherever they're supposed to go as more come in. That's where growth happens. Sometimes we're so busy trying to see how big our church goes. Let's see how big the power of God is in our church. That's what I want. So when we learn to walk in blessings, anointing, and unity, collectively we will get a change in the atmosphere, a growth in our church, and we will see discipleship happen like never before. That's what a forgiving church looks like. So share your story. If you need help, get the help you need. If you need counseling, do it. There's no shame in that. There's no shame whatsoever. Get plugged in with someone. Do not isolate yourself. Do not allow the hurts of the church to be what fills your heart. And so if our—I'm closing now— if Darren would mind coming. I meant to tell you that sooner, but I'm I'm sorry. And so I don't want to be long-winded today, but I want to tell you, I know that this message was for someone because I've never felt this much peace and been this open about my story. There are things I still have never told about my story with that, and I'm okay with that. It doesn't even bother me anymore. I had to learn to forgive, and in fact, a few months ago, I came across something where I saw one of my cousin's daughters got saved, and got baptized. You know what I did? I cried tears of joy. And that's the moment when God said, you truly have forgiven, because she was one of them that did it, and was so proud that she did it, and to see a change in her life. That was beautiful. And so I want to share with you real quick before we get to into the altars. You can go ahead and stand up. I want to finish my story. <laughs> it's funny how God put this on my heart, yet every obstacle that could hit has hit. Monday Aaron came home feeling sick to his stomach. And he ended up having a stomach bug. He's waving. Wednesday at five o'clock, guess what hit Adam? I had to tell him I'm not cleaning that. I gotta go to church. <laughs> yeah. He cleaned it. I was very proud of him. Thursday morning, my stomach started hurting. And I was like, No, 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 no. And I took the medicine I needed and I got better. And I cleaned up the whole house. I got cleaned up, sterilized. But also, come Sunday, Pastor Brad called me and said no Monday morning and told me he said my throat hurts I that's funny Monday night I wake up in the middle of the night my throat hurting (laughs) I was like are you kidding me it never fails when my husband goes to Kenya I get a sinus infection every time every time so I I ended up this week in our house we had sinus infections with stomach bugs Yet I still knew I was supposed to be here to preach. Now, before you get nervous, we are completely clear of it. I mean, we haven't had, uh So, and in fact, yesterday I spent the most of the day sneezing because I'm at the end of it and it's driving me crazy. Now, with that said, I want to tell you about Friday. Friday, I was on the phone with Pastor Brad and my sister called and I said, well, I'll call her back in a minute. And she sent me a text and said, call me back please, daddy is fine. That's literally what I said. And so she always tells me that because she's the one who helps take care of my dad. And so I called her and she said, I got this, this thing in the mail from Aunt Glenda's lawyer. Oh, okay, which a month ago we found out my aunt had passed two months ago. But we found out a month ago. And so she, she sent me a copy of it and I have one too. But basically, it was a copy of a part of her will where we got like a little bitty, little small portion of land or whatever. Um, but as we read on, we, we realized the point of that letter was she sent us where we got to see what my cousins got. And they got paid for what work they did. And I was actually, I told my sister, I said, it would be worse if they actually did it for free. (laughs) And that was her whole intention. And at that moment, I, I prayed for my cousins and I weeped for my aunt because I always, this last month I've, I've prayed, God, I wish I knew where her heart was in her last days. She wrote that will (laughs) the day before she passed. She wanted to make sure we knew. We got to see that my cousin's hard work paid off, which is fine. They worked for it, and they severed all ties with us, so they earned it. In seeing that, the enemy thought, well, I'm going to throw this one last wrench at her because she's, she's preaching on forgiveness. How can she forgive if she's still mad? So the enemy thought at that moment that all those feelings were gonna come back. But what came back was I realized how much I was meant to preach this because what I saw was at the end of her life because she never got the help she needed. She never walked in forgiveness. She died that way as far as I could see. And that's heartbreaking. And I don't know who this message is for, God never wants you to ever be in that place. She did not have many people at her funeral, not many people around her, and that's because that's the life she lived. I'm, I'm surprised, a, a lot of people told her they were going to dance on her grave, so I don't know <laughs> if they did. but that's the tragedy of her life. She chose to let bitterness and anger be the root of her life. And she lived it out fully. And she wrote an obituary that made her sound like the most godly woman you ever heard. Okay. But what does your fruit show? So with every eye closed, every head bowed. I almost said every eye bowed, but I didn't. I want to take this moment and say if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can't. It is attainable. I remember when 9-11 hit, that was the day I got saved. I was a completely different person and I had to make a choice. Am I going to serve the world or am I going to serve God? There's a choice you have to make. So I want to give a moment before we open these altars to give you a chance. If you don't know God, you can. And if you don't, these altars are open we can have someone pray for you. I say pray for you, but we can have somebody pray with you. Amen. So I want to give a moment for that. Because God wants to do a mighty work in this place. He wants to see revival happen. But we have to first be ready to take the correction. We have to be able to accept What needs to change in our own lives, and we have to make that shift for us to welcome the lost, to be that hospital for the sick. Now, for the rest. It's easy to say, well, this isn't a message I needed. Mm. But is it? I told you my story, and I still left a lot out. But I walk in forgiveness. When I saw that letter, I prayed. I prayed for my family because I know the addictions in their life, and I know what they're dealing with. And I don't want to see them fall into a deeper hole. I want to see them saved. I cannot accept them back into my life. Because it is hard. It It is me going and saying, I will let you slap me in the face. And I know that people think, well, shouldn't you? Sometimes we have to learn to forgive and pull away. Because... Even though we're praying for that person, we cannot allow that into our life. And so that day when I buried my mom, (laughs) I buried that whole family. That was all that was left of the family. And so I will probably on this side of the earth never see them again. But I still love them and I still forgive them. And I realize that they go through a lot of hurt themselves. And until they get the help, they will forever live in that. And so instead of me praying, God, smite them. I pray, Lord, send someone that they can hear, that they will listen to, to change. Because it doesn't have to be me that changes them. I'm just one person but I can pray for the people that will because it's a hard job. It really is. So I wanted to open these altars up. It doesn't matter what you're holding on to. It could be the smallest little thing. I want to welcome you up here or at your seat. You can kneel at your seat. There's something about saying I'm going to lay it down at the altar it's one thing to say it but to actually go through the action to do it is a completely different thing so I want to say in the count of three I open these altars for you to come and pray and as we have prayer workers what we're going to do is we're going to come behind you and pray for you Now, one thing I will say before we open these, if they're completely empty, congratulations. Even Jesus went through hurt. It's hard for me to imagine that not a single person in here deals with a a hurt, a heartbreak somewhere in their life that they can't forgive or someone who hasn't forgiven them. on the count of three I want to open these altars and I pray that they get flooded because this is the beginning of the change in the atmosphere of the growth that we want to see of the unity of the one accord that we saw in the Acts church Amen One Two Three